Awesome. Thanks, thanks Russ and Ethan. Um, yeah, so we're going to head into the message now, and we're going to respond afterwards um, with communion today. And um, yeah, we are still in this series called The Servant, if, if you're just joining us today, which is going through Matthew's Gospel. And um, yeah, this passage that we're looking at, we kind of come in, if we just read from verse 29, it just starts with all this sort of crazy stuff happening. There's just like all these healings going on, um, and then all these crowds as well, and, and so forth. I was kind of trying to think how to start today, and I just thought of this um, experience Tim and I had not long ago. We went to a party, um, just a birthday party, and it's a bit harder to get um, places now that we have a baby, and it takes a bit longer, uh, so we were late to this party, and so it had been going for a while, and um, it was kind of getting, it was, it was dark already, and but we came in, and, and there's just all this um, commotion, and and like, you could hear these people celebrating and music, and then we come into the backyard, and there's just, like, lollies everywhere and kids everywhere, and everyone's talking about something that's just happened. And basically, we walk in uh, just after the piñata's been broken. <laughs> so we kind of heard some of it, but we didn't see it, um, but we just saw just, just all these lollies, and everyone's kind of talking about what happened. Um, and I kind of feel like that this passage is a little bit like that in some ways. If we just start from what we read then, that verse... 29, um, there's just all these people being healed and, and all these crowds coming to Jesus. It's just like all this stuff is, is going on. And it's even um, interesting because there's some hints in this passage that this is not actually with, with Jewish people. This is actually with Gentiles, people from other nations. Um, you might have even noticed it in that passage. If I just read it again, um, from there, Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee and he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. And it's an interesting little hint here. It's like, why is that highlighted? Um, normally, you'll just say that they praised God or praised the Lord. But actually, Matthew highlights that these are not actually Jews, mostly. This, this is people who worship other gods. This is actually most likely on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the non-Jewish side. There's actually also, um, it's even made clearer in Mark's version of this, of the, the feeding of 4,000. He says that Jesus goes along the Sea of Galilee to the Decapolis, which is um, this Gentile area on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. So you have to realize Jesus is among other nations, not Jews, not, not the, the people of God, Gentiles, and all these people are getting healed. And if you were here last week, you might think, well, this is kind of strange. Um, Sam preached last week on the passage just before this, where one woman um, comes to Jesus who's not a Jew. Jesus is again in Tyre, which is a Gentile area, and she's seeking healing for her daughter, and Jesus seems somewhat resistant. And Sam shared about how she had to uh, kind of persuade him, and she was relentless in her faith in, in calling for him to do what he was doing for Israel to do for her too, because she recognized he's not just the king of Israel, he's actually the king of the world. And she was saying, if, you, if that's who you are, Jesus, then you need to do it for me too. And she persuaded him, and she called him to do what he um, we can see actually wanted to do, but he was drawing something out of her in his initial resistance. So it, if you were here last week, you know that eventually Jesus heals her, 
Um, he gladly gives her her requests and says that she has great faith. But then it's interesting that we see that she had this breakthrough with God. She's, she's in this wrestle with Jesus, and she has a personal breakthrough. But then we come to this next passage, and this breakthrough has just spread all through this Gentile region. Jesus seemed to be resistant, but then he heals her. Now he goes on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, and all of these Gentiles are getting healed. All of these people are coming to him. In many ways, she is the hinge who had to push and had to, to, to be persuaded, but then it, it switches, and all of a sudden now there's all this openness and ministry to Gentiles. And it seems very likely then that Jesus was more than willing to, to heal the Gentiles. Jesus doesn't have anything against them, but he was waiting for someone with faith to ask and to ask in this, this relentless, persuasive way that this woman does. So um, Sam preached on that last week and, and said that, yeah, this is an example that sometimes there's things that God will do, but he's waiting for us to ask and he's waiting for us to be relentless and he's waiting for us to be bold. But we can kind of expand that this week and say that that's true, but when it comes about, it may not even just be for us, but actually spread to others. The principle of this, of this first bit is to seek the kingdom boldly and your personal breakthrough will overflow to others. Um, actually, when we seek God um, personally, we get benefits, but we see this woman sought God for her need, and then that opened up something that overflowed to all these other great crowds. It's kind of like this metaphor of a piñata, right? Parents rig up a piñata. They wait for the kid who needs to persist to get the lollies. They're often blind, they're not exactly sure how it's going, but there's this need to persist. And when they do, when it breaks open, the lollies just spread for everybody, and all the kids rush in like crazy, right? It's one person who breaks it open, and then there's just all this um, joy and celebration for everyone. And God gives us promises, and then he calls us to ask for those promises. And we can see in this, in this, this woman knows that Jesus is the king of all nations, so she says to Jesus, do what you will do. Eventually in the future, Jesus will be there for all nations. She says, no, do it now. Do it for me now. And then this breakthrough spreads to others. So I think there's an encouragement here um, that, yeah, when we seek God, even for our personal needs, like we talked about last week, when God meets those, often there's actually an overflow and actually benefits and blesses others. So this is just even a greater encouragement to really take God at his word and seek him um, personally for things that we need and seek for more of him personally. Uh, Mark Sayers has a great quote, um, just a small line that he, he regularly comes back to. He says, personal renewal leads to corporate renewal. The idea that if we want God to move in the church and we want God to move in our community, often where God will start is in us. And actually, one of the best ways that we can impact others is actually to seek God ourselves first. Um, actually, seeking God to grow in God personally, seeking for more of God and more of God's kingdom in our own lives is actually one of the best gifts that you can give to other people. Because when you grow, it blesses and it overflows and it impacts others. Um, this even happened, in, like uh, has happened many times, I'm sure, in our, in our church, but I experienced it Last year, when um, I came up and shared that testimony of a breakthrough, that, a deep breakthrough in my heart that God brought about last year, and that was just about me seeking God and then just, just sharing about that. 
But I know that that overflowed and really impacted other people. And I've had people come and sort of say God really did something in their heart through that. And that wasn't what I was trying to do. I was just seeking God. But then there was this overflow effect that when we um, experience Him more, it actually blesses others. Um, so just an encouragement to, to be like this, this woman who's an example of a disciple who is relentless in her faith and then it overflows. It's also a challenge, I think, because um, actually the way to see other people grow, like I said, is for ourselves to grow. But sometimes we can get stuck looking at others or stuck looking at the church or, or stuck looking at our family and, and just want God to do something in them. But actually God may be wanting to do something first in us. Um, there's this pretty intense quote that I'm going to read out that um, one author who's written a book on evangelism um, shared about his desire for his son to have a deeper faith and to be more engaged with God and, and from his heart, not just from his mind. And he's having this experience of praying to God for his son and then really feels like God speaks to him about it and confronts him and he writes about it. Um, so this is, this is what he writes. I'll just I'll read out some of it. So, He's praying to God, and then he feels like God speaks, and God says, what you see in him is what I see in you. And this is in interaction. He says, wait, I thought, what what are you saying, God? What you see in him is what I see in you. You see a surface-level faith in your son, but why would he have anything else when that's what you have, a surface-level faith? He writes, it was so clear to me what the Holy Spirit was saying, and it cut right to my heart. This going through the motions, this head-level discipleship, This mediocre hunger for the Lord isn't just his problem, it's yours too. The lack of intimacy with God, the shallow experiences of his presence, the quick prayers, the -the run-of-the-mill desires, this isn't just the life of the person you care about, it's all through your life too. He writes, I physically collapsed on the floor. I was broken open in prayer for the sake of my own soul, not for my salvation, but simply because I'd lost my first love. I realized in that moment I had become lukewarm. If I wanted my son to come alive in Christ... I couldn't simply hope for that to happen for him. I needed to hunger for more for me. There's this principle of actually one of the best ways we can bless and serve others is actually to seek God ourselves. And maybe that may seem selfish. And I even find that when when I take time apart or if I go on a retreat, it kind of feels selfish or indulgent. But actually, God wants to meet us personally. And when he does, it blesses others hugely. One of the best ways we can serve our kids, one of the best ways we can serve the wider community is to, as a church, love God and seek more of God, not just seek many numbers to come, but actually seek more of God ourselves. So see um, this scene, right? So the in a sense, the, the, the piñata of God's promises of healing is, is, is open. This, this woman's faith blesses and overflows to others. Now there's all these crowds of, of um, other nations and other people coming to Jesus. So we, we read in the passage, Jesus then called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on these people, for they've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry, or they may collapse on the way. It's really interesting. Um, Jess read the, the kids' story of the feeding of the 5,000. I taught on the feeding of the 5,000 from Matthew 14 not long ago, and then come to Matthew 15, and there's the feeding of the 4,000, which is this. And they're very similar accounts, um, even very similar wording. Um, the, the, there's so many similarities. One difference is in the feeding of the 5,000, um, 
the disciples come to Jesus and, and want him to send the crowds away. Send the crowds away, Jesus. They need to go and get food. Maybe that's that they care for the crowds, or maybe it's that they're frustrated with the crowds. But they come to Jesus. We need to do something for these people. Um, where in this story, Jesus comes to the disciples, and he comes to them and says, I have compassion on these people, and, and, and they need food. He actually brings the issue again to the disciples. He initiates it. Um, and they've seen Jesus provide for the 5,000 men, potentially 15,000, 20,000 people, probably not that long ago. Yet, when Jesus comes, this is their response. Where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? It's like, don't you remember what just happened? <laughs> like, Jesus just fed multitudes. This is in the next chapter in Matthew. And they're like, where, where are we going to get the bread for all these people? And it's so good because Matthew wrote this. Like, he, he was there, and he's writing this. The disciples are so honest about what's going on. Um, and, but, yeah, it's so, it's so interesting. So Jesus asks them, how many loaves do you have? Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. Big emphasis on small, right? Seven loaves, Jesus, and small fish, not very many. We don't have much. Even though they've, they've just seen Jesus do this amazing miracle, they're here. And so what's going on? Like it's, it is definitely two different accounts. It's not, it's not the same thing. It's, it's two different times. So, so why are they responding to Jesus like this? I think there's a, there's a couple of things. Maybe it's just bad memory. Maybe it's actually just little faith. And Jesus calls his disciples little faith, little faith all the time. Like he said to that woman who, who persisted, you have great faith. Often he says to the disciples, you have little faith. So maybe it's just that. Maybe it's that they actually are, are forgetful, um, which it's easy to judge them for. But then if we think about our own lives, it's probably true as well. We face a difficult season. Things are really hard. We pray. God provides. We celebrate. It's amazing. And then we face another difficult season. And we think, oh, no, what are we going to do? Like, it's so hard. Like, we just forget so easily um, as Christians and, and as humans. Um, so maybe it's that. But it's even interesting that this is a smaller crowd. This is the 4,000. Right? It's less people. Um, surely the disciples, they could trust that Jesus could do something for them. So maybe the issue is not so much about forgetfulness, but it could actually be just the fact of where they are. They're on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. They're among Gentiles. They're among people from other nations that they don't tend to have anything to do with. Again, maybe they don't even really want to be there. Jesus fed the 5,000, which was a Jewish crowd, experiencing what Moses had happened with Moses of providing manna in the wilderness. In Exodus, they're in the wilderness, and God provides manna through Moses, and Jesus is a new Moses providing manna for Israel in the wilderness. But now they're not, they're not with Israelites. They were Gentiles. And maybe the disciples are like, well, the manna is not for Gentiles, like, and we don't want to eat with these people. And Jesus wouldn't do that miracle here. Perhaps that's where it really where it comes from. Or, I don't know, perhaps it's worth. Jesus shouldn't even do this miracle here, maybe. Like, like, we shouldn't be doing that sort of thing for these people. Could perhaps be their approach. I guess we don't actually know. But whatever it is, there is limited thinking that when Jesus comes to them with this issue that's generated by his compassion, their response is their limited thinking about human resources and human differences. So... Uh, in many ways, in this sort of section, the disciples are a negative example. What not to do, right? 
When Jesus comes with you, to you with a problem, don't say you don't have enough stuff and these people are too different. Like that, that's the wrong thing to do. Do the opposite, which is make Jesus' compassion our reference point, not our differences and limited human resources. Jesus is looking at the crowds with his heart of compassion. Jesus has the knowledge of all the resources of heaven that's available. He's taught about that. He's demonstrated that. People have just been getting healed. When he brings the problem to the disciples, though, perhaps they just see a bunch of outsiders, a bunch of different people that are beyond this miracle, and then they see what they have, and it's not enough. It's limited resources. We can't do anything. Um, whereas if, if our reference point is Jesus' compassion and the resources of heaven, there's so much that could be done. Um, so which kind of, I guess if you kind of think of a compass of two points, like one point is the default is to think of, well, if Jesus cares about these people, he can surely meet their need, um, which was not how the disciples said. They, they saw Jesus cares about these people, but sorry, we can't really help. Like which sort of point do we normally swing? Like if, if there does seem to be limited resources, do we say, well, actually God can do it, or do we say, actually, we don't have enough? Like if I'm honest, I often swing here, right? Like, there's a big issue, there's a big need. Uh, we probably don't really have enough. That's, it's very easy to swing that direction. But there's an encouragement here to, instead of looking at what we've got and thinking that that's the limit, it's actually Jesus' invitation is to look at his compassion in his heart and then see that what we've got is actually the start, not, not the limit. It's actually the beginning of what he wants to do. Um, that, and, and when we look and um, maybe are overwhelmed by differences or, or difficulty, the invitation is actually to think, well, what's his heart that could actually overcome barriers? There's an invitation here to take what we have and let what, what we have be the start of something that Jesus could multiply. And again, we've seen this um, in our church in, in so many stories um, throughout church history and just encouragements and testimonies. And, and one is of, of the heart and hands ministry and, and Jeanette and the ladies who, in response to God's compassion for the poor, offer their gifts and skills and abilities of, of sewing and making things, and God just multiplies it and blesses people all around the world who are struggling just, just by these women taking what they have and giving it to, to God in response to His compassion. If you know the story of Andy Goulet and, and Red Frogs, he often tells his story about this huge ministry to schoolies, which just started with him and a skateboard and some Red Frogs and a heart of compassion for young people. And God takes that and he multiplies it. And we just see this again and again. And Jesus' compassion, right, is, is limitless, right? He cares for everybody. And, and the point is not that, therefore, we have to take responsibility for, for everybody and do everything and, and overcommit. But the challenge is to challenge our thinking, and rather than being limited by a lack of resources or limited by differences and challenges, to actually let Jesus' compassion be our reference point. Jesus seems to be breaking the disciples' categories and expanding their faith, and, and he will do that to us too. And his invitation to be open, to not step back um, like we see the disciples do in this situation. So even though the disciples... Uh, seems to not have much faith. We see this amazing miracle. It says, He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then He took the seven loaves and the fish, and when He had given thanks, He broke them, gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. So Jesus says to these people in this wilderness to sit down. 
Um, you could also say he says to them to relax, to recline. They're getting ready to have a feast. And um, the disciples then start to, to share this, this food around, to, to um, feed this food, these people, which is pretty interesting if you think, if it's true that the disciples have issue with this Gentile crowd, Jesus tells all of them, sit down, and the disciples are going to serve you. And Jesus gets them to walk around and feed them the bread. Um, and this is a picture of what will come after Jesus' resurrection. The gospel will go to all nations and, and all peoples. It's a picture of that that's happening now in this story. It's also a picture of the end when there's, uh, 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 Jesus is Lord on earth and all nations are before him and there's a feast and, and a wedding. We see Jesus cares for people's physical needs, his spiritual needs. He cares for people of all backgrounds and all cultures. And he actually wants to care for them through his followers. He, he, he cares for these people. He feeds them through the disciples. Um, we see that they all ate. Um, that was the same. We just, no, that's right. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate were 4,000 men, besides women and children, so more, much more than 4,000. After Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got into the boat and went to that vicinity of Magadan. So we can realize, even in our weakness, Jesus is actually committed to working through humans. The disciples are telling this story, and they're just honest about their weakness, their, their lack of faith, their amnesia, their forgetfulness, perhaps their resistance to people of other cultures, and yet Jesus still uses them to feed. He gives them the bread, and they pass it on. In all of this passage, we see Jesus is, is doing amazing things by the power of God's kingdom, but humans are involved at every step. People of faith and disciples of Jesus are involved. This, the, the woman from the passage last week, She's obviously not one of the 12 disciples, but she is being held up as a picture of a model disciple who's someone of faith. And it's because of her prayer and her persistence and her not taking no for an answer that this healing spreads. Then when Jesus sees the crowds and he's compassionate, he just doesn't provide food. He goes and gives the problem to the disciples. He wants them to deal with this problem. And then when they don't deal with it and they have weak faith, he does this miracle and then he gives the food to them to hand it around. So at all points in this, Jesus is doing amazing things, but people are involved, even if from a posture of weakness, even if from a, a different background, from not being on the right side. Um, Jesus, by his mercy and grace, actually wants to use humans to bring his kingdom and to do his work on the earth. It's not that he will just do it without us. It's that he actually just uses us even though we're, we're weak, um, even though we don't have faith, even though we're not worthy, he works. And so there's a call, though, to be people of faith, to be involved and active in what he's doing because he wants to do it through us, not apart from us. Obviously, we can do nothing apart from him, but he actually wants to work in and through us. It's not our ability that matters. It's our willingness and our openness and our obedience to seek to respond and follow what he calls us to do. And in our weakness, he actually does work in the world. Actually, anything he does, right? It's not because we're great. It's because of his mercy and because of his grace. We see this in the New Testament. He gives people gifts because he wants to work through the church. 
Um, and all through the Bible, God's plan, right, is to, to work through Adam and Eve, and then after the fall to go through the family of Abraham, and through the nation of Israel, and then through David, and through the kings, and ultimately through Jesus, the ultimate God-man human. And then through 12 disciples as a, as a new Israel, there's this people of God. And the idea always was that the people of God, the nation of Israel, would be blessed, God would work through them, but then that would overflow to all the nations, and that God would use this people group to bless all people. That was always the plan, that he wants to work through them. And as we read the story of Israel, we know the mess and the lack of faith and the issues, that God bound himself and is committed to working through humans. So if this is true, then there's even more reason for us to make Jesus' compassion our reference point, to, to see his heart and recognize, actually, he doesn't just want to do stuff without us. He actually wants to work through us. He wants to work through you and actually has resources available to do that. We need to not limit ourselves by our own abilities because it's not about us. And in a similar way, you can be encouraged to seek the kingdom boldly because he wants to meet us in a way that overflows to others and is a blessing to all people. So this is a, a significant story right, of Jesus being on the other side of the lake among other nations and his heart of compassion, his desire to feed, his desire to heal, the fact that he's king is actually for all people. You see that so, so clear. But it's really interesting because I was just thinking about this story and thinking like, well, where would I be in the story if I was there? And often when we read the Bible, we place ourselves probably as one of the disciples, which is right because we're followers of Jesus. But if we were back there based on our cultural backgrounds, um, unless there's anyone with Jewish background or, or from, from Israel here, we would probably be on the other side of the lake. Like all of us probably for the most part are Gentiles. We're people from other nations. We're not Jewish. We weren't born in Israel. Um, and therefore, we are the other nations that maybe the disciples didn't really want to go to, but, but Jesus goes to and is full of compassion. We're in Australia, right, which is incredibly far away from Israel. It's like the ends of the earth away from Israel. Yet we've been included in this family of God because of God's mercy and because of God's grace. It's not by birthright, it's by grace, it's by faith, it's because Jesus cares for his people, but he also cares for all people that we've actually been included. So we're going to respond today um, yeah, with communion. Um, as we recognize it's because of Jesus' body and, and blood that we have been included uh, in part of the people of God, and we have been invited to therefore be the people who are blessed and able to be a blessing um, so we're invited to seek more of the kingdom that overflows to others. And just before we do that, I just want to read some um, verses from Ephesians, uh, which is written mostly to a uh, Gentile audience. So in some ways, if we sort of picture ourselves back there, um, not as Jews, but as Gentiles, as people who have been on the outside, but now because of Jesus, we've actually been brought in. Um, Paul writes this. Therefore, remember, remember that you formerly, who are Gentiles by birth, called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away 
have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which we put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to you who are near, for through him we both have access by the Father to one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. Perhaps you could stand with me and um, yeah, let's pray. Um, yeah, we might take communion standing together um, as people who have been included in the people of God because of Jesus' mercy and because of his grace, because of his cross, who's made peace so that all nations, all people, all divisions, all barriers can be broken. We can come in by faith. So Jesus, we thank you for your heart that you are the King of Israel and you are the King of the whole world. Thank you for your kingdom that is here um, and that will one day come in full. Thank you that we are included by your blood by your kindness, by your mercy and grace. So we stand here, God, as people who can only come before you because of grace. We have nothing else to stand on apart from your mercy, apart from your compassion, Jesus, apart from the fact that you go to the other side, you go to the people who are different, you go to those, um, Lord, who have been um, yeah, put out and you include them. God, thank you for how you've included us. Give us grace to share and to include others to see all of the people you desire come into your family, to just bless you and thank you for your mercy and grace in your name. Let's take communion as, as you're ready.